Well, once again, my name is Daniel. Pastor here. Thank you so much, worship team. I want to invite you to uh, grab a Bible and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you're welcome to use the Pew Bible or a mobile device here on this Resurrection Sunday morning. And um, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. That's in the New Testament, chapter 20. Just looking through this uh, passage, and I know Natasha read uh, some of it earlier for us as we engage with God's Word. And amen. We want you to just, again, feel free to use the, the Pew Bible or, um, uh, again, a mobile device because we're a church that is built upon the Word of God. It's not thus saith the pastor, it's thus saith the Lord. And how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through His Word, and it's true. And so um, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, I believe, again, that's page 906. And so the title of today's message is When You Can't Get Out. When you can't get out. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that you can't get out of. Maybe right now you're in a situation you can't get out of. You're kind of like, I'd like to make an exit right now. And uh, somebody tricked me to come into church today, uh, but I'm stuck in the middle of a row and I'd like to make an exit. Especially now the preacher's up, just the boring part. And so, you know, like, let me get out of here, right? Um, or I don't know if you remember those commercials. Um, they were Twix commercials, I believe. I thought they were Snickers commercials, but that was a little different. The, Twi- the Twix commercials, because they got a little bit of caramel on them, and it was like, Hey, need a second to think it over? Grab a Twix. And it was like you said something or somebody said something crazy. And so one of the commercials was these couple of guys at a wedding. And uh, and they were like, yeah, nice wedding, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, yeah, but, uh, you know, Sharon shouldn't be wearing a white dress. And um, and then there's a third guy behind them. And he turns around and he says, why shouldn't my daughter be wearing a white dress? And, um, and, it, and it was like, need a second to think it over? Grab a Twix, right? You know, it's like, and he just shoves it in his mouth. And um, or there was another commercial that... Um, uh, this lady was new at the job, and she was uh, learning the ropes, and she was riding the elevator up, and uh, this other worker there, she was like, oh, you're new here, let me show you the ropes, you know, do this and do that, and hey, you can eat whatever you want in the break room, even if somebody's name's on, don't worry about that, and uh, she was like, and watch out for the boss, I mean, he is a, you know, bleep, 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 you know, he just, you know, he is just an old, grumpy man, the elevator opens, and the boss is there, and the boss says, oh, I see you've met my granddaughter, and uh, like, need a second to think it over? Have a Twix. A situation you can't get out of, right? You say something, and uh, you're like, how am I going to get out of this? That happened to me one time. Uh, That's happened to me actually on a number of times. I know you're thinking, uh, this. when I share this with you, uh, you're going to pray for me even more than you already prayed for me. But one time, just one time, I I asked the lady if she was pregnant when she was not pregnant. Now listen, it wasn't as bad as you think. Before you just place all that judgment on me, it wasn't like I was like, I got a nice little pooch there, you know, what do you do? Like, I didn't do anything like that. She had worked for our academy, and her mom had worked for our academy, and um, and and somebody said, oh, Miss So-and-So's daughter is pregnant. And I was like, oh, cool, I wish her congratulations. But I didn't realize that Miss So-and-So had another daughter that lived in another state. And so we were at a little lunch table having a little lunch, and uh, and I, and I said, so... When are you due? You know, and she was like, oh, well, um, I'm not the one who's pregnant. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, can I get under the table? And to make matters worse, it's a room full of teachers. It's all ladies there, folks. And so I had no safe corner to turn to. There was just there was no sympathy for me. They were just all like, man, just all the same. I'll tell you what, you know, and uh, but maybe you've had some situations you've tried to get out of. Maybe they've been funny like that. Maybe they've been serious, you know, in some more difficult situations, right? And I've been in some 
difficult situations. One time I was on vacation. Uh, my family's from New York and Long Island, and we have an aunt who has some rich family, and they were out in the Hamptons and Montauk in this fancy beach house, and they let us come there as little kids. We're all excited. I don't know, I was probably like 11 years old, and my older brother was with me, and so we were swimming, and we had our little boogie boards and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and my brother, like a lot of older siblings like to do, they, they, they take special pleasure in torturing younger siblings. And so he decides to push me out further away from the shore. And I scream like a good little brother does, like, ah, stop doing that. And he laughs, you know, ha, 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 this is great. And, uh, and he gets pleasure. And so then he pushes me some more. And I scream and, and whine, like, stop it, you know. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. And then he pushes me some more. And, and this process continues. But what he hadn't realized is that every time he pushes me, he swims further out too. And before we know it, we can't see the shore. Like the riptide was just serious that day. I don't know if a storm was brewing or what. But, man, we were out there. And we were like, O-M-G. Like, what are we going to do now? And so we're screaming for help. We're crying for help. We got our little boogie boards. And my dad uh, was there. I suppose he was probably supposed to be watching us. But you know how dads are. And uh, And so... He was not prepared to swim, so he starts shedding some clothes and getting some stuff off and, uh, and throwing his wallet down and, like, comes out there to rescue us and, and save us, except for the rip shot is, is too strong. He can't save us. Now all three of us are out there like, help, right? And we're in a situation that we can't get out of. And, um, and so finally our helps uh, got the attention of some, like, professional surfer dudes who knew what they were doing, knew how to navigate that. And so they got their big old long surfboards, and three of them came out there and rescued the three of us. And boy, we were so grateful for them. And, uh, and I don't really know what happened after that. My memory is a little foggy. Um, but I'm pretty sure I didn't get a whooping that day. Um, but I can't speak uh, for what happened to my brother. But I don't know about you, but you've been in some situations that are just bigger than you that you really can't get out of. And you're just like, God, what are you going to do? I just can't get out of this. And maybe for you, uh, again, it's, it's been a, a, just a, a, a somewhat unpleasant experience. Maybe for you it's been a major thing. Maybe for you it's, it's your marriage, and you thought it was going to go differently. And when you guys met, you were just so, so in love, right? And things are going great. But now it seems like every day, every day there's arguments, there's fights, and it seems like every step closer you try to take towards them, they take another step further. And, and your whole world is, is blown up. I don't really know that's what your situation is like. Maybe you're just at a point in your life at whatever age you are, and you're thinking, you know what, I thought I'd be further along in my life than I am right now. I, I, I thought I would have my degree, or I thought I'd be in this career, I thought that things would pan, I thought I'd be married by now, or I, I, you know this sort of stuff, and, and I just thought things would be going differently. Maybe for you, it's, it's the way your kids are driving you crazy. And, um, or maybe for you, you've got older kids, and they have just responded wildly, and the relationship between you and them is torn, and fractured, and you just don't know what to do. You don't know how to improve on it. Or maybe for you it's your finances, or your job, or your business that you started. You had this dream of a business you wanted to, to always have, and now that business is crumbling. And you're like, man, I don't know what's going on. Or maybe for you, the business did do what you thought it would do. And you've gotten everything you've ever wanted. But there's still something inside of you that says, this is not enough. I want more. And you're not sure. You're like, I got everything. I should be happy. I should be cool. I should be content. But I'm not. And I don't know what's going on. It's a situation that you don't really know how to get out of. Maybe for you, it's your sin, right? And, and it's the mistakes you've made. There's an addiction in your life that you can't get out of. 
and you're thinking, hey, preacher, I appreciate what you're saying. I know you're trying to be nice to everybody, but you don't know my situation, preacher boy. You don't know the sins and the secret things in my life, and I just can't seem to stop it. I can't seem to get a hold of it. It's got a hold of me, and you can't get out of it. And I just want to let you know on the authority of the Word of God that God loves you, amen, and that there's, there is nothing you could do to out sin, the grace and the mercy of God. In fact, the Bible tells us this, for every mistake you and I make, God makes something else. Do you know what he makes? For every mistake you and I make, he makes mercy because the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness is what the word says. Maybe for you, maybe just honestly, you've been hurt by some people, some family members. Maybe you've been hurt by a church person. And you're just kind of back today and, and, and you're just checking things out, but you're keeping your distance. I just want to say thank you for, for, for coming back and, and checking that out and, and pursuing a little bit of your relationship with God some more. But can I just say that if you've been hurt by a Christian, I'm sorry. And, and please don't judge the heart of Jesus on the basis of someone who was supposed to be following him. You know what I mean? Because there's all kinds of hurts that happen in this world. And so I don't know what your situation is, but I know I've been in some situations where it's like, God, I can't get out. And I need some help here. And, and will you help me? And I think that's exactly what we find here on this Resurrection Sunday morning in the Gospel of John. I want us to look through this text here because these disciples are finding themselves in a situation they can't get out of. Jesus himself, apparently, at least people thought was in a situation he couldn't get out of. Crucified, killed, and stuck in a tomb. And now these disciples are scared. They don't know what to believe. They put all their hope in Jesus. They've, they've, they've put all their trust in him, and they've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him heal the sick and open the eyes of the blind. They've seen him five, feed over 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. They've seen him do all this stuff. They see Jesus like trump everybody with his genius. The religious people hate Jesus, and they come to him with like these religious trickery questions like, Jesus, you know, what about this? What does the law say about this? And they, they bring to Jesus a lady caught in adultery thinking they're going to, catch Jesus in a little catch-22, and he just flips thing on the religious leaders. And, and, and then, man, just everywhere they go, Jesus has an answer for everybody, and he, and he does everything perfectly, and it's like, man. And then all of a sudden, one day, it ends. And Jesus is beaten and spit upon and mocked, and then he's crucified and placed on a cross, and there's nothing that Jesus does. He doesn't like just make it all go away. And they're like, what is happening here? All of our hope is just going down the toilet. And now we're in a situation we can't get out of. And so these guys are discouraged here. So pick it up with me. Chapter 20, verse 1, says this. Now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, y'all. Reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell them that's Sunday. I thought the week started on Monday. I'm not so sure I like that. I thought it was still the weekend. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene was one of the many disciples. We typically think of the disciples were only the 12, okay? But Jesus had many disciples, hundreds of disciples. In fact, she was a woman who was demon-possessed and had a whole bunch of trouble in her life. The Bible says that, that Jesus cast seven demons out of her and that her and some other women uh, joined the rest of the disciples and even, check this out, financially supported the ministry. And so these, these were women who were uh, first class, even though she had had this host of issues. And man, she was a follower of Jesus Christ and disciples. So she came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And I wonder, notice that she's visiting the tomb. 
Notice that it's still dark. And I wonder if this is the, the, the gospel writer is, is showing us some foreshadowing of what's going on in her life, right? She's in a dark place, right? She, she's hanging around a dead place, and she feels like there is deadness in her life. And she came to the tomb. And then it says this in the next part of the verse. And then she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And I'm going to give you my first point here. We'll flash it up on the screen there. Regina, point number one is this. When you get into a situation that you can't get out of, when you can't get out of despair, Jesus calls to us and helps us to truly see. And we're going to unpack these verses here in just a second, but you can write this down. When you can't get out of despair, I don't know if you've been in the time of despair, been in the time of, of darkness, been in the time of just downcast, maybe even a season of depression. When you can't get out of a season of despair, Jesus calls to us. I mean, he calls us by name, as we're going to see in just a second. And he helps us to truly see, because a lot of times we can't see from the right perspective because we get so focused on what we lost. or We get so focused on the situation or our circumstances and we can't seem to shake that focus. Amen. And notice what's going on here. Notice how she interprets her situation. She sees the stone is rolled away and the body is taken. And you know what her first thought is? Not he's risen. Not the promise is true. Not Jesus told us this. And it happened, yes. Because her mind is stuck in a cycle of discouragement. Her mind is stuck in a cycle of, of, of man, just I'm depressed. And, and I just, right? You ever had a, a bad day get worse? Like you're running late for work? And then you got a flat tire? And then it starts to rain? That happened to me one time. I was a school teacher and I was like, really? How am I going to deal with this? And, um, or, or you get the stomach bug. Right. And it comes out of the top and now it comes out of the bottom and you just want to get in a fetal position in like a, a, a pool or something like that. Somebody else's pool that you don't have to clean up and just lay there and then crawl back over the fence and leave all the stuff in their pool. You know, what I mean, just like you just it just went from bad to worse. <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm glad I don't live next to you, Pastor. <laughs> I got five kids. too. Let's all go in the pool, kids. And um, chlorine will take care of it. But you have a situation go from bad to worse. At least that's how we interpret it. And sometimes when we get stuck in this mindset, we interpret every situation as, oh, this is bad. Instead of, oh, I know God is working, even though I don't see what's happening. Because notice again, look what she says. In the same verse, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then verse 2, it says, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John, by the way, and then look what she says to them. She said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. She interprets her situation incorrectly because we don't see with the right eyes. We don't see from God's perspective, right? You know what I'm talking about? And that's what happens is we get stuck in this cycle. Earlier this week, my wife and I, was it this week? I don't know, it was this week, last week, they all run together and we had an appointment and we were late for the appointment um, because, you know, getting home from work and trying to get everybody ready and then getting the kids, and we're going to leave the kids at home, and they were going to, the big ones are going to take care of the little ones, and things were just not working out because they're outside playing. They didn't want to come inside from outside playing. They were dragging their feet. I'm like, we have got to be a disappointment now. And, um, you know, and I'm just losing my cool, and I want to go out there, right, and just sit in the car and honk, you know, because, like, that helps people get ready quicker. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, that's so helpful. I didn't do that, by the way, but it was, it was very strong on my mind. 
And um, and so I'm just fuming and I'm driving there and I'm like, we're late this thing. I'm just, you know, I got this appointment and now it's going to take forever. So we get there. The lady's now helping somebody else. There's a line of other people. And I'm like, see, this is supposed to be a, about a 30 minute hour long deal. Now we're going to be here for four or five hours. So I'm sitting there in the waiting room, just steaming like you can cook an egg on my forehead. Right. And my wife, the whole time, just sweet pea is just like, it's going to be fine, honey. It's all right. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, it's not going to be fine. We're late, and now the lady's got somebody else. And, um, and so we're waiting for a few minutes, and then out of the back comes somebody else. And, um, and she says, hey, Mr. Mackey, I know such and such is, is busy, but I can help you and your wife. In fact, uh, as the story unfolds, her husband's a pastor over at First Baptist, and uh, it was some financial stuff we were working on. And, um, and she says, I know all about pastoral, you know, finance, all this sort of stuff, uh, probably even better than she does. And, and, then, and then she just starts to unfold everything, and I'm like, all right, God, I'm sorry again. You know, but I was having a little hissy fit, right? Because I wasn't getting my way, but I couldn't see the whole equation. I can't see the full picture. What I've got to do is trust God. But I see I interpret all these events in a negative way, and, and I think, oh, it's gone from bad to worse. And the reality is God is always working out his plan, amen? And so what we think is something worse, we just don't know the full story. And we have to trust God. And so... This is what happens to her. She's stuck in despair with Jesus calling us and helping us to truly see. Then look at verse 3 through 10 with me. Here's what happens. Verse 3, it says, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together to have a little track meet. But the other one, the other disciple, outran Peter. John whooped him. And he reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then verse 6, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. That's how Simon Peter was. He was kind of brash. He was kind of impulsive. He was like, I'm just going in. I'm not waiting out here. Why are you waiting out here? And uh, you were here first. You should have went in. And so he goes in and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw, notice that, notice that he saw, and you can track through this whole paragraph here and see every time the word to look or to see is used, what God is trying to show us here is, is that our eyes need to be open to see the situation correctly. He saw and what happened? He believed, for as of yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. By the way, this is just a little freebie here as we think about evidence or proof for the resurrection. Because some people say, oh, maybe the disciples took the body, or maybe there were grave robbers. And there were grave robbers in those days. And, uh, and they would rob tombs and that sort of stuff. But here's the deal, right? If they took the body, they wouldn't have spent the time to unwrap the cloth. They wouldn't unwrap the mummy, right? They wouldn't take off the head cloth and then take the time to fold it back up, right? No, you would just take the body and run. Now, why would you steal the dead body in the first place? I have no idea. Ask Laura Croft. She's a tomb raider. And so uh, you guys can figure that out. Okay. Actually, no, I mean, they were looking for artifacts and actually uh, they would steal organs. And it was, it was kind of a black market for organs. Even in America, that happened uh, frequently. Uh, the slaves, because there was nobody to defend them, nobody to, to help them out, they, they were dug in shallow graves. And, and many, many times uh, slaves were dug back up and their bodies were just uh, decimated. And it was horrific. And so um, that's what happens. But listen, when you take something like that, you don't take time to unwrap it. But Jesus got up out of that grave, took 
the robes off himself, took the linen cloths off himself, folded them back up. In fact, I heard one preacher say this. You know how it's like when you go to a fancy restaurant and, um, and when you get up to go to the bathroom, you take it. Well, this is what you're supposed to do. I don't have all the etiquette that does all this stuff, okay? But this is what somebody told me. So if you ever go to a fancy restaurant, you do it. And, um, and uh, but when you get up and go to the bathroom, you're supposed to take your napkin and you just fold it on the chair. And when you fold it on the chair, that means I'm in the bathroom. I'm coming back. Don't take my steak. You know what I mean? But if you take that napkin and you put it on the table, that means you're done. You're not coming back. And I wonder this, ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus didn't take off those robes to fold them and put them there to say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm coming back. The work is not done. Amen. And so I'll be back. So this is a reminder of the evidence and the proof of Jesus. But we're talking about when we're stuck in this cycle of despair. And look at the next couple of verses here. And here's where Mary gets stuck. And she's in a situation she can't get out of. Verse 11, the disciples have gone to their homes and they've moved on, but she can't move on. Verse 11 says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, watch this, she stooped to do what? To look. She's looking into the tomb. She continues to look at the situation. She continues to stay focused on the situation. She's staring at it. She's desiring what once was there. I want Jesus back. And how many of us get stuck on situations? Man, I I want my old life back. I'm focused on what used to be. I'm, I'm focused on the past. I'm focused on the dream that I thought my life was going to be like, and I get stuck on that. And here's what happens. We're so hyper-focused on that, we can't see what God is doing right now in the present because our eyes are glued on that. We can't see God working in a different context. We love to put God in a box, amen? God can only work like this. It's like I heard a friend say, you know, you ever come across somebody you out you know, in the community and you don't know where you know them from? Right, and you're like, do I know you from work? Is it school? Is it church? Like, where? I, because you're out of context. I can't place. And this guy said this happened to him in Target, and the lady was like, "It's me from Starbucks." And he was like, "Oh my gosh, I go to Starbucks every day." He's like, "But I didn't recognize you out of context, because normally you got a green hat on, your hair's up in a bun, you got this like face little thing on there, and, and you got a green apron on, okay? But now your hair's down, you're wearing you know regular clothes and." You don't have the face thing on. I just didn't recognize you out of context. And sometimes, listen to me, we don't recognize God out of context. We think God can only work this way. God, I had this idea about my life. I had this thing of what I thought it would be. And and you can only work like that. Some of us think God can only work on 11 a.m. on a Sunday. He can't work on a Monday in your life, right? Can't work on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Saturday. Sometimes we don't recognize God out of context, and he's trying to get us to open our eyes to see. Look what the rest of the verses say there. So she stood and she looked into the tomb, and then she saw, notice this, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Can we just get a footnote here? This lady just saw two angels and didn't blink an eye. Really? Every other time in the Bible somebody sees an angel, you know what they do? They fall on their faces as if they were dead, and they beg the angel, please don't kill me. I've never seen anything like you. And every time if you read through the Bible, the angels are always like, fear not, you can get up. I'm not here to kill you. I've just got a message for you. But you see an angelic being all of a sudden, 
you're going to mess your pants, right? And she can't see it. She can't even see that God is trying to get her attention and open her eyes, but he's doing a new thing in a different way, and she misses. It says she saw two angels, even, even if, if she thought they were humans, right, which could be a possibility. I'll admit that. But it's like she came to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. She looked in. She saw nobody. She ran back, got the disciples, came back with them. They went in the tomb. They didn't see anything. They leave. She's crying. Okay, let me do some math. Did two other people go in there? Those guys just came out. They didn't see anything. How did two other people get in there? There's a secret passage. Like, she could have at least been curious, but she just says, where, are, where is the body? She's so focused on the body of Jesus, she can't, miss the, she can't see the resurrected Jesus and what he's trying to bring the new life to her. And she misses it. And then look what happens now. It gets even better. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, she saw two angels and couldn't see that God was working. Then she sees Jesus himself, and she's still not able to recognize that he's there and working. And sometimes in your situation, in my situation, God's hand is so present and right there, you can't see it and I can't see it because... We haven't opened our eyes, and we haven't, we're not looking for God to work in a new way. We're looking according to our own wisdom. We're looking according to my will be done, not thy will be done, and we miss it. Now, maybe it was the tears in her eyes. Maybe because Jesus appeared in different forms. Maybe, maybe that's all true, but I think when you look at the text here and the focus on the words look and saw, it's clear that she just did not have her eyes open to see what God wanted her to see, and so then Jesus said to her, verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Jesus now speaks to her. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She still couldn't get the resurrection. She still couldn't get the new thing God was doing because she was focused on the old dead thing. Can I just free some of you today from your past that is dead and gone and God is trying to do a new thing? Look to him and see the new thing that he is doing. Look for his hand. Amen. And then here's where things take a turn. Now look at verse 16. Jesus calls her name. He said to her, Mary. And at that moment, she knew. She knew. Oh my gosh, Jesus. Jesus, you just called my name. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbana, which means teacher. And man, she just fell at his feet, and, and, and apparently she grabbed onto him and clung onto him from the text here, and she finally got it. But just look at the tenderness of Jesus, right? Notice he didn't beat her up. Notice he didn't say, hey, I sent angels to you. Hey, I gave you a promise. You should have got it. Why are you so slow, Mary? I told you this would happen. He didn't say any of those things. He just gently called her name, and he said, Mary, it's me. I'm here. Look at the tenderness of Jesus, amen? And that's so beautiful. And so when we're in the situation, right, that we can't get out of despair, Jesus calls to us, and he calls us by name, and he helps us to truly see. He helps us to open our eyes. Secondly, and quickly, we'll move on. When we're in, stuck and we can't get out of doubt, when we can't get out of a situation of doubt, I don't know if about you, but I've had some times of doubt in my life. And when you can't get out of doubt and unbelief and you're struggling to believe, God comes to us, Jesus comes to us, and he's going to show us proof of his love. 
He may not show you the proof you want to see, but he will always, always, always show you proof of his love. Look with me at verse 19. Look at verse 19. It says this. Now here's the disciples. The, the camera zooms off, the, off of Mary and onto the disciples. The disciples who, by the way, um, said they were going to be there for Jesus, spent three years with Jesus, and then have left him at the, the most needed hour when he was praying in the garden and, and sweating drops of blood, and, and they fall asleep. Great friends, right? And, and then when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, it, the Bible says all the disciples bolt and they flee. Only one of them kind of trailed behind. His name was Peter. And then Peter didn't really do any better because Peter denied Jesus three times. In fact, the woman said to him at the fire, hey, I know you're a follower of Jesus. He says, look, woman, I don't even know that man. That's Peter. So the, here are the disciples, and let's see what they're up to. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked. Reach over and touch your neighbor and tell them the doors were locked. The doors were locked. Why? Why were the doors locked? Where the disciples were, the Bible tells us why the doors were locked. It says, for fear, for fear of the Jews. Here are the disciples, scared out of their minds that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. And these guys are struggling, right? And they're afraid. And look what Jesus does for them. It says this, Jesus came and stood among them. And then he said to them, you guys are a bunch of yellow-bellied cowards. You call yourselves Christians. You call yourselves believers. And you're hiding in here like a bunch of sissies. That's why I told you to get your own Bible, right? That's why I told you to get the Pew Bible, right? Because don't, don't take it upon what a pastor says. Look what the Word says. He didn't just slam them and say, how dare you? I've been telling you, you've been with me for three years. And I've been healing the sick, raising the dead, and I told you they would put me to death, and then I'd rise again, and you guys still can't get it? No, he just sees their fear. He sees their worry, and he says, look, guys, it's okay. Peace be with you. That same peace when I calm the storm, let that peace just invade your heart, guys. Keep calm. Jesus is alive, right? That's a shirt that you can make. Verse 20, verse 20 says this. Then Jesus, <clears throat> when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then look what Jesus says to them again. He says what? Peace be with you. And then he says this. This is incredible. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. In other words, guys, you're in here scared like a bunch of, you know, little Middle school girls, when the boys are coming over to toilet paper of the house, thinking it's, it's going to go crazy, right? You know, and you guys are afraid and hiding the doors are locked, and, and, and you're supposed to be bold, but I still believe in you. As God has sent me on this mission to the earth, I am now sending you. You've got your job still. I believe in you. Go and bring beauty and go and bring the gospel to the rest of the world. I still believe in you, even though you have just ran away from your calling. You still get a second chance. And can I just declare to you today, ladies and gentlemen, that your failures are not as great as your faith. In fact, could I just say it this way? Your future is greater than your failures when you trust God. You just got to trust him. Because you know what God can do? God can overcome your failures because of your faith. He's overcome my failures. And for every Christian in this room, he's overcome all of our failures. And so your failures are not nearly as important to God 
as your faith. Will you trust him now? That's the question. Will you trust him now? And then look what happens here. So he gives them their job. He says, look, you guys are sent. And then when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, in other words, I'm giving you something better than me just being with you. My Holy Spirit, all of my power is going to be living inside of you to go carry out your destiny and your purpose, what I've called you to do. And he doesn't say you guys have blown it. And I just love the fact that even when I doubt, even when you doubt, God still shows up. Even when we're struggling to believe, and I don't know about you, but this verse just is a reminder to me that when you're in a deep, dark, black hole, Jesus can reach down into the darkest hole, grab a doorknob that doesn't exist, open a door that wasn't there, and make a way where there is no way. Because he's God. And he's come to us. And no matter what situation we're in, even when we're struggling to believe, he still comes to us. And I love that about Jesus. See, we think we'd have a much stronger faith than these guys, right? We think, these guys are lugheads. How can they miss this? I'm so much better than them, right? Until I tell you my little story, and then you come up here and tell your story about how you were frustrated this week, right? We think we'd have a, a, a tomb tailgate party, right? We'd be out there like, hey, man, what's up, Thomas? Hey, can you cook up some kosher uh, you know, food there, get the grill going, get some fish going, and I'm going to bring the onions and leeks, and hey, Mary, will you... Will you Cook some bread for us, and we're, we're going to have a little tomb tailgate party. We're going to be out here just jamming, right? The BGs going like, ha, 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 staying alive, staying alive. And then Jesus is going to roll out of that stone like, that's how we think we would be, right? And it's like we would be just as scared. And God comes to us in gentleness. And in grace, even when we don't believe, and he says, peace be with you. It's okay because my presence is here and you still get another chance. But then, look, that's not even the best part, right? It's not even the best part. Look look what happens next, right? Go to verse 24 with me, and, and we're going to kind of uh, try to wrap it up with Thomas. And then I'll give you the last point. Now, Thomas, now Thomas, he's called Doubting Thomas. You're about to see why, if you're not familiar with church, about to see why he's called Doubting Thomas. Now, Thomas was one of the twelve called the twin, and he was, check this phrase, was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas had to make a Starbucks run, a, 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 a Domino's pizza run. He had to go do something, and when they had the doors locked, he missed the party, right? And you have, have you ever missed the party? And everybody's talking about it at work the next day, and you're like, oh, you guys had so much fun in that bowling adventure, right? Or you see it on Instagram or social media, right? And everybody's like, oh, we had so much fun, and you're just like, Cool, 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 cool. Like, unlike. I just want you to know I unliked it. You get that notification. Not happy you were out there with everybody else because I had to work, right? And so he's tired of them talking about we've seen Jesus. He's really risen, and he gets he gets sick of it, right, because he wasn't there. But then notice what happens next. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, and it was awesome. You should have been there. And then it says this, but he said to them, check this out, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. We've got a little conundrum here, don't we? We have a disciple, a testified believer who has just declared his unbelief. 
But he's not too much unlike us, if we're honest, right? He's needing a little bit of proof here. He didn't get to see what they saw, and he's just like, I do not believe this. I refuse to believe this. And for you, if you're here as a believer and, and you have some friends or some family members who are not believers and, and you're tempted to scratch out their eyes like, you got to believe, you don't know. Listen, you got to be patient with people because they haven't experienced the same thing you've experienced. And you got to let God do his work, right? And so watch how Jesus treats us. God's helpful for us to know how to treat other people. But he says this. He declares his unbelief. It puts a little caveat on his faith. Unless I see the nails, unless I see the proof myself, I'm not going to leave. I will never believe. And what is Jesus, the Holy One, going to do about that? Well, let's find out. Let's see what Jesus does. He's going to come in WWF style and lay the smack down on Thomas. Is that what's going to happen? No. Verse 26. It says, eight days later, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Hey, can I give you something free today? Notice Thomas still hung out with these guys. When you're in a season of doubting and lacking faith, hang around some people who are going God's way, right? That's the time we want to pull away, like, oh, they all believe. They're all perfect. I'm just not going to come to church. I'm going to trip over a microphone, right? I'm just going to back off because they all got it together, and I don't. And so I start to seclude myself. But can I just tell you that sometimes other people's faith around you will help you navigate the situation you're going through. So get around some biblical community. Amen. And it says this, Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked again, there's no window. There's, there's no way to get through the lock. And what does Jesus do? Jesus came and boom, stood among them. And he said, Thomas, you should have believed your friends. Thomas, you are an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. Is that what Jesus said to him? No, he said to Thomas, and he, said, he said, God's peace be with you. And then here's the best part. Then he looks at Thomas, and he doesn't give Thomas a long sermon. He doesn't beat Thomas up one side and down the other. He gives Thomas his hand. He says, here, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Touch my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's a great double negative there, but Jesus said it, and I can't improve upon it. Do not be unbelieving. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This is the most beautiful part, isn't it? Jesus had already come for all the other guys. Jesus had already come and shown up to them. But the one guy who didn't have enough faith to believe, who put a caveat on his faith and said, I will never believe, Jesus still comes for that one. And what a beautiful picture that is, because that's Jesus' M.O. He comes for the one. The Bible says Jesus leaves the 99, and he comes for the one. The Bible, we, we love to count by hundreds and thousands. Oh, we went to this event, there's a thousand people there. We count by big numbers. I got a thousand dollars in my bank. I got a hundred dollars in my bank. We love big numbers, but God loves one person. And God loves you here today, whoever you are, wherever you are in your belief or your unbelief, Jesus is willing to come to you and show you proof. may not be the proof you want, but he's going to show you the proof of his love. And what was his love? That he took the cross for you and for me. And that's the last point. You can write this down. Is that when we come up against the obstacle of death, which we will all face, when we can't get out of death, Jesus came and he took our place so that you and I could truly live. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be living the resurrected life, to be living eternal life from this point forward. 
Jesus comes for you. The Bible declares in Romans 3.23, it says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? All. There's no perfect people. We have all missed God's mark. We have failed the Holy One, and He's got a standard, and it's righteousness, and you and I have not made the cut. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is God going to do about that? Romans 6, 23, just a little bit later, and that says this. The wages of sin is death. We owe God our lives. Because sinning is not just doing something bad. Sinning is an affront, and attack on God's kingdom. And we have all, declares the Bible, myself included, attacked God's kingdom and despised him. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But I love the end of that part of the verse. Amen. It says, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, when we face the greatest obstacle, because all of us one day will stand before a holy God, and we, we have that great obstacle of death, what will be your plea? Will it be, listen, I trusted Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. Will, will you have a Thomas response that after he shows you the depth of his love that he took the cross for you, will you say, my Lord and my God? I want to follow you. I want to give my life to following you. There's a story I heard about this week um, about an earthquake in Armenia in the 1980s. I believe it was December of 1988. And uh, and the story was told about a dad who had dropped his son off at um, his school. And he says, hey, son, have a great day. I'll see you later after school. And he turns to drive off. And about a mile down the road, the dad sees something he had never seen before. He sees the road just ripple in front of him like the road was rubber. And there was a massive, almost seven uh, uh, on the Richter scale earthquake. And just start the buildings start moving and just crumbling. It killed uh, over 25,000 people in just a few minutes. I mean, millions were left homeless in Armenia. It was just a terrible terrible earthquake. And he does what most dads do. He whips around that car. He says, I got to check on my son. I got to find my son. And so he drives back to that school. He climbs over to the rubble where he would see, uh, you know, um, where his son's classroom might be. The, the car is left running. The door is open. He's just trying to get to his son. And he starts digging through the rubble. And people are like, hey, man, this is useless, bro. You see the school is just flattened. You can't even see anything but rocks. There's no way anybody survived that. And he's just like, leave me alone. And he's just digging in his grief, and he digs one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. And people are like, just leave this guy alone because he's just digging away his grief, right? He's just digging because he just wants to be able to be okay with himself that I did all that I could to rescue my son. And he keeps digging, and he hasn't eaten or drinking a lot. He's not sleeping. It goes on 24 hours. He's still digging. People just left him alone in his grief, and he's just digging 29 hours, 30 hours. 36 hours, he's still digging. Hands are all cut up and bleeding, but he's trying to get to his son because he believes he's under the rubble and he loves his son. Then finally, on the 38th hour, he uncovers a rock and he hears some voices in a cavern down below underground. And he cries out, I believe his son's name was Armand. He says, Armand! And he hears back, Daddy! And he calls over these rescue workers and they start to unearth the ground there and 13 little kids and their teacher come out of that rubble. And the little boy says, Daddy, Daddy, I knew you'd come. I kept telling my teacher, my daddy will come back for me. My daddy's going to come get me. Don't worry, because my daddy's going to come. And can I just declare to you today that that's a human story? And the Bible says if we as human fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father, can I tell you today, that you've got a Heavenly Daddy who has moved 
all the stones, all the things that are on top of you to come after you because he loves you. And you can trust him today and you can trust him any day because when you can't get out of a situation, Jesus can get in any situation. And he's calling you to trust him. And so as we gather for our response time, we're going to pray in just a moment. There'll be a time as we sing, be a time for you to respond however God is calling you to respond. Maybe for you, you're going to sing and you're going to sing loud. Just, God, thank you that you came and got the rubble that was on top of me and you rescued me. And you're just going to be grateful. Maybe you're going to sit quietly wherever you are. Maybe you're going to reach over to somebody next to you and hold their hands and tell them you love them and ask for forgiveness or do something. We'll be here at the front. If, if you need prayer, myself, some others will be up here to help you. We'd love to pray for you in whatever situation you're in to point you to Jesus. But however God is calling you to respond, you respond to him during these moments. Amen. And so let's pray together with heads bowed and eyes closed. And just have some moments before the Lord here. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you that as a heavenly father, you have moved heaven and earth to reach out to us, to reach out to one lost son or daughter who you love. Thank you that you thought we were worth dying for. And Lord, it's my prayer for myself, for every person in here, that we would just be continually amazed at who Jesus is. There indeed is no one like him. There is no one like our God. Because all other religious leaders are still in the grave. And their bones can be found and verified. But God, you came out of that grave. And you have promised resurrection life to each of us. I pray for every heart in here, God, for the heaviness that's on hearts. God, that you would speak and bring hope as only you can. And I pray for those here, maybe they're like Thomas. They're on the fence of believing. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you would grant them the faith to believe. And if we could help them, we'd love to help them in any way. So, Father, do your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.